Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. It's Roscoe here, your host. Just a solo episode today, just me. And uh, it's one that I wanted to put out there. It is discussing what I see as the 2020 and 2021 trends coming out of 2020 into 2021. Some of the things that I've observed in my role and experience in the golf industry, I thought I would share those with you. It's just my thoughts and uh, feel free to challenge them, feel free to add to them. But I thought that I would share what I've learned, what I see, what I view in uh, the golf industry and I'd share that in the form of a podcast. Absolutely. Now, thank you for listening. Really do appreciate all of his continued support. We are back up and running with the podcast already in 2021. Rocket's back on board. You've hopefully listened to that. People keep listening to Rocket and I go on. And uh, we do have a lot of fun around that. So Rocket's back on board. The Mental Mastery Golf Podcast is on board. Please jump over to the Insight Golf Academy and tune in there. If you want to get your golf game on track for the rest of 2021, go and see Jamie at Insight Golf and do one of those courses because it will set you up for success. And the Golf Rules Questions Podcast is up and running. It's flying. You know, Blake is probably one of the most passionate guys in the golf industry about his topic and subject matter definitely the most knowledgeable and uh, i really enjoy our weekly catch-up where we talk about the golf rules and try and make it fun so you know that is the podcast world of the my love of golf podcast family it's uh it's a thing we not exactly sure where it's going but it's definitely going so we're back up and running for 2021 and here is our episode on the trends not so many facts and figures but just my my thoughts on 2021 what are some of the things that you have in your mind some of the things to look out for some of the things to think about and some of the things that you might want to give some commentary around so thanks for joining us look forward to having you on the other side of this music Okay, observations, trends, and things happening in the golf industry, purely and solely from my point of view. I thought I'd share them. Uh, it started as some scribble notes in my new little uh, digital note-taking pad that I got. Uh, it was a Christmas present to myself. I started uh, fiddling around and trying to learn how to do it, and I started writing notes in it. And uh, I came up with this uh, 10 topics uh, of areas of, of interest, and I thought maybe that might be the start of something that I can create some informational content around. And it, you know, I guess, turned into a, a list of 10 items that uh, I've observed coming out of last year and into this year. So I thought we may as well just share those. And as I said, uh, you feel free to challenge, feel free to add, feel free to question, um, because that is what we are here to do. We are here to learn, share, and uh, enjoy. And if you are listening to this, at some point in the journey, you've you've learned something. Hopefully, uh, you've he- helped me by sharing. Uh, hopefully, and uh, you've definitely enjoyed. So let's uh, keep on that theme with my top ten trends coming out of 2020 and into 2021. The first number one: social golf. Now I talk to and have the privilege of talking to golfers all day, every day. It's one of the reasons that I do what I do. And, you know, some of those insights I'm able to incorporate into the podcast in, you know, getting access and talking to people. But in talking to people all day, every day, and what I've seen is a whole new range of golfers coming to golf. Now, I hear you say, well, that's a no-brainer, Ross. We, all, we probably knew that because the golf courses are full. It's hard to get a tee time. Uh, the membership side of things are changing. We'll talk about that in a second. But social golf and people playing golf and is being driven by new golfers. Never in you know seven years of me doing what I've been doing 
have I seen so many people walk into a golf environment and just walk in and select golf clubs and say, I want golf clubs, I want to play golf because my family, partner, my friends, they're all out there enjoying this game, which I've never really thought of going towards. I've watched a little bit of on TV. Now I've been on a golf course, I've used some old golf clubs and it's time for me to get serious about this. I want to do it more regularly, I want to do it frequently, I want to do it as good as I can. I don't want to overinvest. Um, but I'm but I'm getting into it. So you know this aspect of social golf and people playing more golf is really growing. Nine hole golf, things like uh, you know not having to go and play eighteen holes every time, but people playing a casual nine holes. Um, you've got the ability now to record your scores and submit them to your handicap if you are a club golfer. That is that is a growing thing. Casual golf is is growing. People not playing for score that's growing and just enjoying the game. But more importantly, I think it's driven out of this twenty twenty time into what is now a safe healthy and fun way to enjoy some casual company, uh, do some exercise with it, give yourself some thinking time out there on a golf course and people are starting to, I guess, re-engage with the game and re-understand that golf is a really popular sport. Now, some of the stats behind that, you know, when you look at uh, participation sports and club sports in Australia, golf is, I think overall, golf's the number third, uh, number third, the, the third highest in a club participation sport level. I think soccer is still the first. I think uh, Aussie rules is, is number two and golf number three. The interesting stat about golf participation at a club, in a club environment is in the adult group, 15 years and above, golf is number one. So in the under 15 years, so the 14 years and under, golf is nowhere near the top 10. So really uh, for the for the industry, you know, that is that is an area, you know, this junior golf, uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast where, you know, clubs need to do things to uh, engender the spirit of junior golf, kids golf, you know, that's how I grew up playing, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, groups of kids playing golf, just hanging out, drinking bottles of, you know, soft drink and sharing sharing the cost of it in schooner glasses with ice, please. It was, it was a great time. So, you know, the fact that golf is number three in the overall list, pretty much to the exclusion of, of kids, is a, is a great asset, but really there's an opportunity there for those under 14-year-olds and clubs in the, in the game to, to look at how, how they get that uh, section of the, the market up. Uh, of course, obviously, you know, the great news is, is that being number one in the over-15s, the, the, I guess the adult category means that you know, that's where the money is, so you know, we are the ones that uh, pay for that. So that's a, that's a positive, that's a real, real positive. So, you know, but golf is growing. Public golf, public golf courses, I think uh, there's never been a better, more uh, pressure on those. You know, you, you hear this, I hear the stories every day about it's hard to get a tea time. Um, you have to really be organised and book in advance. Um, you have to, you know, play at different times of the week. You know, the Saturday and Sunday round is, is you know, still a thing, but people are playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I think that comes out of having the uh, flexibility to play at different times due to this changing sort of work structure and work environments that we now have. So, um, that's a great thing, you know, golf's been opened up, you know, people are more open to when they can play and who they can play with. So that is that is definitely a, a, a thing, you know, the new golfer is a thing and, you know, if you are in the industry and you listen to this, you know, we need to be thinking about anything that we can do to engender the spirit of golf and, and make it fun and enjoyable and, and rewarding um, to keep these guys in the game. We're not quite at the participation levels of where we were back in the early 2000s. I, I don't have a, the exact numbers, but you know, I, I believe golf is up 5% in this, uh, you know, 2020. 2021 period that's around 50,000 extra golfers so there's still some upside you know if we go back to the tiger times you know that 2000 1999 98 99 2000 2001 i think golf was at its peak then we're not back there from everything that i've been told 
but you know we're certainly trending in the right direction. So uh, at, at the um, club level, let's keep plowing along, getting your customer experience right, getting your your, your course right. You know the, the positive is that with more people playing, more money coming into the the coffers of the the golf courses. You know that gets plowed back into the club environment. You know the the clubhouses gets put into the golf courses, gets put into the maintenance, gets put into the projects that have been put on the back burner. And, you know, what's happening is we're getting better courses. We're getting better courses that the social golfers want to go and experience and play. Oh, I heard Sandy Lynx is a new course, so let's go and try and do that. Or I've heard down at Mornington they've put a new hole in that everyone's having a hole in one on. Let's go and do that. So really, really, really good stuff. If you are a new golfer and you're a social golfer and you're playing in, in this social group environment, you know, just a little bit of, this is not me telling you how to suck eggs, absolutely not. But having recently experienced playing in those uh, situations, you know, one thing that I would you know, certainly encourage you to do is to, res- in respecting the game and the traditions of the game, just spend a little bit of time with some of your more golf um, experienced uh, colleagues and, and, and just pick their brains on how to get around the course really efficiently, how to you know, not play in a way that takes five hours. I recently had a round with a, a social group and it took five hours and I had an enjoyable day. Absolutely, you know, it was great company, but all of guys weren't regular club golfers. They were playing in a social group. But there was just those little etiquette things, those little things that made the round a little bit slower and it was a five-hour round at a, at a course where it should only really take four, three and a half, you know, three and three-quarter hours. So, you know, it's just an education. If you are a regular club golfer and you're playing with new, new golfers, part of my challenge to you and your responsibility is to educate. And, and you don't have to do that in a way that, you know, that's wrong, this is right, you know, those types of ways that have you know really driven people away from golf for many many years you know the rules and the and the perception that it's very you know um, bureaucratic and, and stuffy and all that sort of thing well that's changed but if you are a club golfer you know helping your your new golfing friends understand how to do things a little bit more efficiently in moving around the golf course protecting and caring for the golf course you know the reasons why we fill divots in the reasons why we you know don't necessary play in in orders you know we play ready golf and had a putt, putt on the putting green and be ready and all that sort of thing um so there's my there's my sort of number one take coming out of 2020 the winner number one winner is is the game of golf and you know this social golf environment and new golfers you know welcome to the game thanks for joining us we look forward to having you on board i hope you join podcasts the many 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 of them so number two with this uh, growth in new golfers is the focus on golf coaching I've never answered the phone to so many people looking for places to get golf lessons and, and, and want to improve their golf than I ever have in the last eight to ten months. You know, and it goes without saying that when people take on this game that we have and that we're all besotted by and challenged by, that people want to do it and they want to get better and they want their you know, improvement curve to escalate really quickly when they get into it because you know, it's that sort of game. You know, it's, it's not... It's something that you can improve and if you learn the skills and learn the techniques and learn the postures and you know learn all of the craft of golf you can really escalate your improvement levels and you know as you know you play good golf you tend to enjoy it more you tend to enjoy it more you tend to want to do it more you want to do it with more people and you want to talk about it with more people so you know to all the golf pros out there that are really busy you know, i commend you on your work ethic and the work that you do to help the new golfers get into golf and get their skill levels up to the existing golfers that are, you know, trying to get from 25 to 15, uh, get from 10 to 5 and 5 to scratch. You know, we've all got our golf goals. You know, if you are working with a coach, you know, I applaud you for putting the time, effort and investment back into the industry for improving your own golf. And I hope for your benefit that it does pay rewards and uh, you also enjoy your golf more. And 
Yeah, that's a really that's a really positive thing. So for all the golf coaches out there that are at the ranges, at the courses, at the indoor golf centres, you know, well done. Keep your customer service up. Keep your customers happy. Help them understand what this, you know, the beauty of this game. And, you know, you'll be in a great position as will the game. So golf coaching. The other just sort of side um, add on to, I'm still on point two here, is people practicing at home. Ranges are pretty busy. You know, you go to a, a driving range and it's really, sometimes you've got to wait to get a bay. It's, it's insane, um, which is great. Uh, you go to the driving ranges, if your course has got a driving range, that's like a little um, meeting point, you know. There's usually, at all hours of the night, you know, from dawn to dusk, there's 10, 15, you know, five people sitting there belting balls. It's great. But one thing is people belting balls at home. Uh, never seen so many uh, people wanting to buy putting mats. Never seen so many people wanting to buy nets. You know, we're all aware of the great net crisis of 2020 where you couldn't buy a driving net, especially in Melbourne, for love nor money. Those items are going through the roof and... It's great to see that people are wanting to, you know, practice golf at home. What that means is it's exposing more people. You know, you've got a driving net and friends come over, you know, let's go and belt some golf balls in the backyard. I know I've got a net and uh, it actually sits in the back of the car because it's the most convenient place for me to access it. Just pull it out, pop it up and away we go. So I'm hitting more more golf balls and I'm just like everyone else wanting to get better. Uh, We touched on, uh, this is point three, so we're we're trying to quickly race through this. I want to keep uh, this short and sweet and interesting. Memberships at golf clubs. Now, you know, we've all heard about the big clubs and they have their waiting lists and their, you know, processes to get in. You have to know the four to five to six people and all of that palaver. And, you know, I, I can't challenge it because it is what it is. I'm part of a club that has a process like that. But the majority of new golfers are coming into clubs that have for many, many years been, you know, desperate for new members, you know, been putting programs in place, you know, for you know, no membership fees or stage memberships, uh, age bracketed memberships and different price points and you know they probably weren't filling them as quickly as they can i think now that's changed you know this this social golfer is very quickly a more of them transition into a member of a club environment wanting to hang around with their mates that are members wanting to play in the competitions and be a little bit competitive so you know if you're a a golf club administrator you know congratulations for getting and transitioning these people into memberships uh well done if you've if you've had a massive intake in memberships and I know some of the courses around here where I live in Melbourne certainly have had a massive spike in uh, membership intake. You know, predominantly, I think people want that access to be able to get regular access to a course. You know, member member courses have guaranteed tee times. You know, and a lot of courses still have open for public play. But you know, as a member, you you get access to these spots, and um, and the tee times are full. Once again, bringing more revenue in, allowing the course to be maintained better, do the upgrades change the grasses, change the greens, put in the bunkers, do the, the master plan developments that they've been wanting to do for a long time. So, you know, memberships have grown and, and that's a good thing because strong clubs mean strong businesses, means jobs in the community, means secure jobs in the industry. It's a, it's a really positive thing. Number four, so we're moving into gear. So we've talked about play, let's move into gear. So there's a couple of points here dedicated to gear. So we're on to point four, golf technology. Wow, you could dedicate three podcasts to golf technology and not cover off every topic that you need to. There are, you know, the rollback crew amongst us that want to roll back the ball and, uh, you know, really considerate about the growth of technology and, and what it's doing for the game, what it's doing for the courses. I get that. But the reality is the golf companies are not going away. It is a somewhat of a continuation of the golf brand wars out there. It's a real thing. And they're progressing at rapid rates of you know, being able to bring new product to market with ever-changing technology, ever-changing um, abilities for golfers to hit the ball straighter and further. And one of the trends that I see in golf club technology is no one's really bringing to clubs 
um, market to clubs anymore uh, that are harder to hit. Of course, obviously, Ross, I hear you say. The topic of forgiveness, you know, more forgiving, is certainly a, a theme that you are seeing in all of the drivers that are come, about to hit the market. You know, we're at the time of the year when a lot of the companies drop new product. It's that end of January period. There's usually a PGA show in the US where they launch all of their products. More forgiveness is a theme. You know, I've seen recently in my hands a lot of the new clubs that are coming out. I've hit some of them. You know, there's won't go in through the brands, but everyone has this theme of more forgiveness. And I think a lot of that's driven from the tour, so they say. These guys can't hit the ball any further. The CT off the face is, is measured, so you know they can't make the, the CT any faster. You know, the ball certainly um, is, is one factor of, of technology that you know, is always changing and they're always looking for more gains. But one of the things in, in driver tech is more forgiveness. So, you know, no one's making this low spin really hard to hit. They're making the ability now to make low spin, high launching, and also very stable, high MOI, moment of inertia. And if you don't know what moment of inertia is, you can go and research that. But basically it's, you know, the, the weight at the rear of the club, at the back of the, the, the heel, uh, not the heel, um, the back of the club, you know, the, the opposite side to the face. You know, when you see the, uh, weights down there and the more weight, you know, usually for a moment moment of inertia, the better. Uh, that is adding to the forgiveness. And forgiveness means that the sweet spot is expanded. You know, you, when you hit it in different parts of the face, because we're all not like Dustin Johnson, hit it smack bang out of the middle every time, 380 yards. We hit it on the toe. We hit it on the heel. We hit it out of the centre. We hit it high on the crown. We hit it low. And, and the higher the MOI makes, you know, those missed strikes uh, go a little bit straighter, a little bit further. It doesn't make bad perfect it just makes bad better so driver tech moving to more moi and being you know focused on forgiveness that's that's one thing uh the other thing it's just a random fact that i reckon that i've been aware of is people moving people wanting to play blades and wanted to experience blades and there's a probably a couple of factors at play here one of which i'll talk about uh, later on in another topic of trending uh, that i've observed but people are certainly looking and have interest in playing blades when you see TaylorMade, for example and i pick a brand only just by example you know making tiger woods specific irons and you know they look fantastic and as we're fascinated with tiger woods and want to be like tiger woods and all that sort of thing i think people are drawn towards experiencing or understanding what a blade is and then when the brands are making still continuing to make better players clubs with such beauty and grace and style it's hard not to be drawn to it and as everyday golfers you know you want to you want to use things that are beautiful you want to use things that are stylish you want to use things that look good in your bag it's just human behavior so i I see a lot more people wanting to use blades and i'm not just talking about four handicappers three handicappers two handicappers you know we're talking 15 handicappers 12 handicappers 10 handicappers that just want to experience that clean style of a blade and and they acknowledge the fact that uh it's probably not the, the right club for them. There are plenty of other game improvement clubs and, and there's a whole massive segment of the market that that, that space is in. But there's a, there's certainly a growing trend of people wanting to see blades. It's not the majority, it's a minority, but it's a growing trend. And that's what this is all about. It's a little bit of the, the trend topics of uh, 2020 into 2021. People playing blades. Uh, game improvement clubs, they're still a thing, obviously. Um, and the, the technology that's in the driver space, you know, that's probably replicated the amount of tech change and the, and the updating and the ability for the manufacturers to keep improving game improvement clubs. Blades, so much you can, only so much you can do. There is some technology changes there and they are trying to make even blades more forgiving because the better players, the pros, still want forgiveness. Even in a blade, you know, they want workability, but they want forgiveness. But in that game improvement uh, space, you know, there's a whole right raft of changes there. So, you know, the, the, the thing is when you're going out and looking at clubs, which is moving into the next point, is the club fitting. So my point five is is the, the trends in club fitting. Now, 
we've educated the market that you should go and get fit for clubs. Absolutely. There's a, the reasons for getting fit for clubs are you don't need to talk about that. You know, you need clubs that fit yourself physically, fit your game, and uh, you know, some of the other parts of the golf club grip and shaft and lie angle and all that sort of thing, they're all the components of fitting. And that, that hasn't gone away. You know, the emphasis on fitting is still there, but there's one, I guess, key trend coming out of 2020 and into 2021, which has, I guess, changed the focus on that. And it's been really interesting for me to see it because I've been so adept at helping people get absolute bespoke requirements and fine-tuning everything to their individual needs. And sometimes that slows the process down. You know, you give two people, uh, give people too many decisions to make and it becomes very hard for them to make a decision and you know, paralysis by analysis sort of comes into play. But usually, you know, obviously we always get there. And, and people are happy because they've got something that's bespoke to them and the feeling is it's, it's their club and that's really confidence-inspiring. But what I'm seeing is with the demand for golf clubs, with the demand for equipment and the supply of equipment being, I guess, challenged, um, you know, the, every industry, not just the golf industry, but every consumer good industry has got challenges getting product out of the manufacturing hubs in usually in Asia, transporting it down here to Australia. And there's no containers in the world. You've heard sort of whether you're buying white goods, shoes, whatever, you know, the, the, the challenge of getting it here is, is one challenge. And the availability um, by the increased demand and global demand, it's not just Australia we're talking about here, it's global demand. More people playing golf all around the world, they can only make so many, many golf clubs so quickly. So this is putting a pressure at the retail end on timelines. It's if you want a bespoke set of golf clubs now, you know, custom fit to your exacting specifications, regardless of where you go, in many cases, you're waiting six to eight weeks. And some people, you know, are bitten by the golf bug. They they want immediate return. They want immediate improvement of their technology. So what I'm seeing is a lot of people, you know, really sticking with that standard club, making a decision over, well, I've got to wait six weeks for it's a slightly different shaft, you know, a couple of tapes under the grip or a different grip. Well, you know what, let's try these ones that are here ready to go. You know what, I'll just take those. And, and that's really conflicting to me because, you know, I spent so much time you know, getting everyone into this bespoke sort of feeling. And now when people are forced to wait, they don't want to wait. It's very likely you walk into a big retail space now and, you know, see holes on the wall because the clubs just aren't available because they've been purchased because, you know, people want them immediately. So, you know, it's really, really conflicting me because, you know, you spend so much time fitting clubs and then people are happy to walk away with the, the clubs that are, you know, the manufacturers are building to standard specifications. The, the, the the manufacturers know the standard specifications sort of fit for the majority of the bell curve of golfers who that club's designed for. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You put your trust into that. They, they know what they're making and it fits the majority of people. So I think the point is, if you go back to that Tiger era, era and before, there were far less choices. You know, there weren't 10 types of shafts. There was a dynamic gold S300 if you wanted a stiff and an R300 if you wanted a reg. There might have been a, a rifle shaft back in the 2000s and you had a choice of two, not many others. And you were usually fairly happy with that. I remember my first fitting. Yeah, you know, the pro handed me the club, said, right, take that. It was a, not the club that I bought. Take that out to the net, put that tape on it, hit three shots, come back in, right, bang, done. And, and you had no choice. I just took the standard set of uh, TM product that, that came. We had a lie adjustment and that was it. And it's sort of feeling like that. And people are really happy. So it's just a, an observation. Is it a trend? Probably not. But it's, it's sort of maybe changing the way we think about this whole club fitting and, and really going back to trusting that the manufacturers do build good clubs for us and, uh, you know, plus or minus, you know, the small incremental changes that we can influence. Maybe it's, uh, you know, taking what you can get when you can get it is, is a good thing and, and for some people that, that is exactly right. But for sure, if you want the absolute bespoke, you know, nature of clubs and go through all the shafts and the fitting modules, um, you know, the, that experience is definitely still there for you.
Okay, number six, online versus retail. I have a lot of people come to me every day going, oh, Russ, you know, your, your retail environment must be getting slayed by online. Online, Well, online has grown. You know, I think Australia Post uh, have some stats I, I picked up from someone saying that there's 8 million people, new people have been drawn into online shopping. So there's 8 million new people that have bought online. Obviously not all golfers, but you know, it would go without saying that if there are new golfers, a good portion of those are buying gear online. And I know that's pretty much exactly what's happening. But I know in the retail space, there's more and more people in retail spaces looking for these golf clubs, looking for the golf experience. And so golf retail is, is not going away at all. And my message to the golf retail industry is, you know, get your customer experience in order and not, you know, you meet and greet and welcoming people and being nice. That's an absolute no-brainer and goes without saying every day. But, you know, you will succeed if you have a great range of product. You will succeed if you have a great experience when the customer is doing a fitting, you know, the places for them to hit. If you're using technology, the simulator technology, the launch monitor technology, that is certainly growing. Um, so if you've got that in order, you will succeed and People still, golf is a game where people still want to see it, touch it, feel it, hit it, experience it before they make a decision. And, you know, if you've got all the things in order, then if you've got the product on hand, you'll succeed. So retail is still here, thankfully, and uh, online is still here. We can't, you know, that's that's normal. But um, the retail business is, is still a thing for golf. And, you know, I encourage you all to go in and see your local golf guy, whether it be a pro, whether it be a golf shop, because they're employing people in the industry, they're creating opportunities for you to see, touch and feel, and they're there just trying to help. They're representing, you know, their brands, they're representing themselves, their families and all that sort of thing. They're in the golf industry making a living, just trying to help all of us golfers um, achieve their dreams. I just just want to flick back to golf technology, point back to point four. The other area that I sort of glanced over is, you know, we talked about nets, but the other area is personal golf measuring devices. That's another massive uh, area of um, growth. People are buying launch monitors to set up simulators in their backyard, not not the backyard, but in their garage, in their kids' rooms. Um, you can get personal launch monitors now for you know under in the thousands of dollars, not the, not the tens of thousands of dollars. And people and the technology that is available, so that area is growing as well. That's another trend that I've seen. You know, when people got locked in 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 their homes and they couldn't play golf at golf courses because they were closed and so on and so forth. People still wanted to play golf. So, you know, not only did they get nets, but they started buying personal launch monitors. So this growth of simulated golf is uh, is growing. Now, flicking back to the to the retail, uh, the growth of playing golf indoor, playing golf in environments that aren't on the golf course. You know, I see that all day, every day. You know, guys coming in to play, and girls, uh, families, every part, every part of the, the, you know, the, the human uh, culture is coming in to play golf indoors. Why? Because you can. It's convenient. It's quick. It's out of the heat. It's out of the cold. It's out of the rain. It's out of the wind. Uh, you can have a great experience. You know, there's some, some drinks, nibbles, and, and whatever. Uh, it's fun. You don't lose a golf ball. But you know what? You're still playing golf. You're still challenging yourself with a golf shot into a simulated golf hole and and trying to beat a score and trying to beat your mates and trying to beat your friends and 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 just have some fun. So that is in that retail space. Uh, that is that is a growing area of popularity as well. And see that space. Uh, watch out for that. If you haven't been to you know, an indoor golf uh, facility like a big swing golf, get down there. It's it's fun. It's a great way to play golf at eight o'clock at night till ten o'clock at night, seven o'clock, you know, whatever time of the day. You can use it as a practice range, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, number seven. So we're on to seven. We've covered one, social golf, two, golf coaching, three, memberships, four, golf technology, five, club fitting, six, online versus retail, seven. Uh, this is a little area that I find myself peeking into occasionally on Instagram. It's pretty much uh, the domain of this type of uh, part of the golf industry. 
It's called what I would call indie golf, independent golf brands that are making a name for themselves out of different parts of the industry, i.e. apparel, i.e. soft goods, head covers, ball markers, bags, etc. And it's fascinating, you know, if you like something that is a bit unique and bespoke, it's hard not to get uh, engaged in, in that. You know, I, I love a ball marker. Uh, I've got sort of several dozen ball markers. I usually collect them from cl- clubs. But uh, I find myself with two or three or four brass markers. Some have got my initials stamped in them. Some are in shapes that mean something to me. They've got different stampings on them. So that's an example, you know, head covers. I have some Seamus head covers, but there are several head cover manufacturers all popping up all around the world. The Seamus ones mean something to me. They've got a certain tartan. Um, I've got my certain initials on them. You've heard me talk about that in the past. So, you know, indie golf certainly growing and you know it won't overtake the mainstream golf space it probably won't get into the mainstream golf retail spaces but it's certainly growing and i know in the instagram world that it um, draws a lot of eyeballs and attention and that's part of uh, leads into you know golf media and that's number eight golf media now there's been a lot of changes in golf media you know, you've heard about the golf channel changes and different things happening there and you know, I'm not really concerned about the big media outlets because you know this is not a big media outlet. You know, golf podcasting is a form of golf me- media, and playing in that space is certainly growing. You know, I see it. I see the new podcast popping up all the time. Now, what's happening at the top end of the tree? You know, the big where the dollars are. Uh, there's no dollars here, by the way. But where the dollars are, you can see like your Barstool Sports and so on and so forth. You know, they've all got sponsors. They've all got alignments with companies who pay money for content. You know, they've become media companies, and that's. You know, encouraging to see that the golf media is changing, the landscape changing. People are realising that people are consuming this media in a different way. It's not just golf TV, Foxtel and magazine. There's more ways that people are choosing to consume at their convenience with a, a level of independence as well. And that, that is growing. And part of the reason why you know, I enjoy producing three podcasts is because you know, it gives three different people a chance to have uh, a share of share of voice in a, in a space where a share of the market are listening. And, uh, you know, as I say, there's, there's no money here. There's no sponsorships. You know, I've never really spon- – no one's ever offered a sponsorship of this podcast or, or any of them. Um, always welcome. I, you know, I, I joke. But, uh, you know, that's not what we do it. We do it because, you know, we're contributing in areas that we're passionate about. Now, if you are one of the big media companies, you know, the challenge to you is to keep your content interesting. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you talk about uh, the LPGA on the weekend and there's a bit of backlash around the coverage for that from, I think it was NBC, you know, making it not so interesting. The PGA Tour, you know, if if those guys aren't sort of looking at their formula and trying to keep this new level of golfer engaged and the current golfer even more engaged, the the, the independent media will will keep rising and rising. Um, One of the things that I do love is the European tour. You know, there's a reason why I probably gravitate towards the European tour in terms of watching is probably the timing. But um, I just love that the fact that they have fun. You know, Rue McDonald, a good friend of the podcast from the Scottish Golf Podcast, I was rapt to hear his voice in the background of the interview with Tyrrell Hatton on the weekend. And those guys over there are really trying to push the boundaries of engagement um, using their players to create fun and engaging content. You know, if you look at the angry golfers, Everyone's seen it, and uh, if you're feeling glum, stick up your thumb. Just simple stuff, but you've got some of the biggest players and names in the world all sitting around in a room acting, essentially, but they're doing it to create a fun environment for golfers like you and I to sit back and enjoy what they do and the privilege that they get to play it professionally. So golf media is uh, certainly a changing landscape. I think everyone's having a bit of a, a look at how they do it. If you have a magazine, if you are a golf magazine producer and you still make a magazine, well done. 
because it must mean that your golf magazine is valuable. People like putting it in their hands and reading it. So congratulations. Congratulations to my friends over at the Lynx Diary for their second volume. I received mine the other day. Love it. And that's the sort of uh, magazine that sits on a coffee table and people pick up and go, oh, wow, what's this? Oh, and there's information in there that they might not otherwise get because it's not mainstream. So congratulations to you guys. But if you do make a mainstream magazine, congrats. Uh, and just finally on, on media, small creators. Uh, you know, this creator culture is, is growing because it's free. The price of entry is very, very little. Um, maybe more, not more so if you want to make great content. You know, you need a fair bit of gear to make good podcasts. Uh, you need a fair bit of gear to make great content on YouTube. And it's almost like a commercial level of production. But we have seen the rise and the rise of the small content creator. You know, and like, and I go back to my friend Eric Anders Lang. It's only three or four years ago that he wasn't even in the space. And look at him now. You know, he's in Dubai. You know, he's flown across there, first class, business class. And he's there to make content for, I'm assuming, the European Tour or Amiga at the Dubai Desert Classic this weekend. He does great work and every bit of his success has been absolutely um, deserved. But there are a whole host of other you know, small content creators out there trying to you know, create a niche in the golf media space. And the good ones do a really good job. And, uh, and some of the others, you know, just have a crack. And if, if your intention is just to have a crack and... and get a new experience and, and put some information out there, my, my hat goes off to you. That's what we're trying to do here, have a crack. But if you have ridden that wave and you've put effort into your product and grown your following and grown your exposure and then grown your product, you know, congratulations to you because you are contributing to the level of interest in the golf space that is helping grow this game and helping put the eyeballs to people that might not otherwise have come across it when they were solely reliant on the big the big job media, you know, the... the the TVs and the big magazines and all of that sort of stuff. So content creators, keep creating content because uh, we love seeing that out there. Uh, nearly on the home stretch, um, this is a little bit of history and culture, these last two topics, point nine and 10. This game is built around history and culture. It's one of the oldest, uh, most traditional games that we have in any sporting field and environment. And that's what draws us to it. That's what keeps us going to back to golf courses, traveling to experience different uh, golf environments, going to the, the home of golf where golf began in Scotland as an example, and experiencing different golf courses all around the globe. And hopefully very soon we'll all be traveling and back doing that. But history and culture is a massive topic. And one of the things that I'm sort of links back into that bladeology, the uh, that I was talking about before, people wanting to play blades. I think a lot of it's driven by people wanting to play old clubs. You know, vintage clubs have become a thing. Uh, it's very hard to get hold of a good set of vintage clubs. If you do, you know, people are frothing over them and, and grabbing them and putting them in their in their kit. Um, they might not be using them every week, but, you know, it's something that they go out and play with occasionally. And when I played, uh, as you know, I sort of name-dropping again. Um, you're used to that by now. But when we played with Lucas Herbert just before Christmas, you know, Herbie turned up with this old set of Walter Hagens and a persimmon uh, set of woods. Now, that was talked about on the European tour coverage from last weekend. They were talking about Lucas and they referred to Lucas had been having some fun back home playing with old clubs. And when I was talking to Lucas uh, and talking about these old clubs, you know, I started referencing other old clubs, you know, clubs from my um, formative years, the Tour Edition Sporting Blades, you know, Mike Froney's got a set of those. They're beautiful. Uh, some Ram Tour grinds. And all of these clubs now that you see popping up in the vintage circles that people are, you know, as I said, frothing over. Now, Lucas said to me, hey, Ross, he said, uh, I don't think you remember how old I am. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, mate. I was sort of comparing his driver to my Cobra Persimmon head. I said, all oh, right. So he said, I'm 24, mate. I, I had I have zero experience. I just wanted some old clubs and I wanted I went out and got some. And, you know, I'm challenging myself by, you know, trying to have five or six under here around your golf course with them. And, you know, it really sort of drove the uh, 
drove the uh, idea home that, uh, yeah, he didn't have any idea about the clubs that are old, but he has an idea about old clubs and, and how interesting they are. And he might not know that the Ram Tour grinds were a thing or the sporting tour editions, but he, he does know that the old clubs are beautiful. And hopefully this will inspire him to you know have a little bit more interest in the histories and traditions of the game. And this isn't about Lucas, this is about everyone because I see this happening a lot, you know, and, you know, 12 clubs, you know, Nick Mills is um, part of the 12 clubs. Um, have a look at it on Instagram. Have a look at it on website. You know, those guys are taking old clubs from wherever they can get them and turning them into works of art, and people are paying top, top dollar for them. I've recently got a set of Hogan, Hogan radials. I've got a set of McGregor VIPs up there sitting behind me. I haven't used them yet, but I will. I'll go and join Ferroni and some of his uh, cohorts in their retro days. So in respecting the traditions and of the game, you know, we are going backwards, which will help us look forwards. You know, what old is new again, all that sort of concept. And I think people appreciate the game a little bit more when you can know where it comes from. And you, know, you, you appreciate the advantage of the technology that you do have. You know, the golf ball, uh, I was talking with one of the tailor-made guys the other day and I said, oh, I've got a seven-degree tailor-made burner. You know, it was like a 1986 uh, driver. Seven degrees. You know, the reason why we had to play seven degrees back then is because the ball spun so much. It went so high. You try and hit a seven-degree driver now, it doesn't matter what sort of velocity you swing it at. With the current ball, it's just not lifting. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It was interesting to see Lucas hit the current ball. Um, he, he made that thing lift, actually. So maybe there is a difference there. But for the everyday golfer, seven-degree tailor-made burn ahead, the really small thing, um, really hard. But we were playing ballada balls back then. Bring the ballada ball back. There you go. There's one for uh, Matt Mollicker and the, and the rollback crew. Bring the ballada ball back to, to tournament golf. I'd love to see that. Now, the other history and tradition, architecture, architectural appreciation. I love taking photos of any golf course that I get to play. I love the, the shapes. I love the forms. I love the light. And, uh, and I really do appreciate my time on the course. And I think you know, the, the understanding of what makes a good course a good course, what makes a traditional and historical course uh, a good course, is a part of golf that is growing. Um, you know, we've seen at Lonsdale Links the OCM team make a whole series of holes built around template holes. Now, if you've not had the opportunity to you know, travel and see template holes, whether it be at the National Golf Links of America, whether it be at North Berwick, whether it be the old course, the guys have, and have, I think very cleverly so, as a, as a marketing uh, tool for, for great golf experience here in Australia, they've built these template holes. And you can, it's never going to replace the road hole, but you can see the bunker and it's the same level of features as the road, road hole green at St Andrews. They built that down at Lonsdale Link. So I think that that's happening is, is really suggesting that the level of appreciation for great golf architecture and design is growing. And, you know, when you, when you, if you're in Melbourne, you know Federation Square. Remember when Federation Square was being built and we all sat back and thought, wow, how could you build that? That's an eyesore. But now if you think about taking Federation Square away in an architectural sense, you would, there'd be an outroar because we love it. It's a great, interesting built form in on the edge of the city in a really interesting part of the town next to the river and people come from all around the world to to see you know that as part of our built environment now take that to the golf course environment you know like we've got the history and tradition of the old courses but now with the new courses that are being built and the sustainability and the and the different design elements that are now you know being considered when people are building new courses um tom doak mike cocking these are two names that, uh, you know, in 20, 30 years' time, you know, we'll be talking about these guys like we talked about, hopefully, like some of the uh, the, the grandfathers of golf design, the CB um, McDonald's, the Seth Rainers, the, you know, the Tom Morrises, the um, Alistair McKenzie's, et cetera, et cetera. So golf course architecture is a growing level of interest for a growing number of people, 
and it's part of you know my thoughts around the traditions of the game, respecting those traditions, understanding the traditions, and really you know, putting that in your mind as when you're out there on the golf course, um, just the opportunity that you do have to to embrace the environment, embrace your conditions, embrace your playing partners, and have fun with the game. That's it. There are my top ten items that I wanted to get off my chest for coming out of 2020 into 2021, the things that people are talking about in my world. Hopefully that gives you some interest. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your time. And uh, if you want to give me any feedback on any of the top tens, let me know and I'll include them in the next one. Let me know if you want to have a chat about it on online or if you want to have a chat about it on the podcast. I am more than open to bringing anyone that wants to talk about their passion for golf onto the My Love of Golf podcast. You do not have to be a name. You do not, You just have to be interested in golf. If you want to talk about golf and you think that you can add some value to uh, a couple of people that listen every week, please reach out and let's talk about it. So thanks again for listening. I look forward to seeing you on the next uh, episode, which will probably be another Roscoe and Rocket episode. He'll have some cannibals firing don't worry about that and uh, until next time thanks for joining us my love of golf podcast